everybody, welcome back to the SWIC Tech Leading Business Podcast. My name is Eric Clark. I'm one of the Client Success Associates at SWIC Tech. And joining me today, per usual, is uh, Shane. Shane, how are you? Hey, hey, Eric. I'm good. Thanks. Uh, yeah, Shane, also a Client Success Associate here at SWIC Tech. Um, wear a lot of hats, including doing these podcasts and account management. Um, excited to be here. And I think we've got a special guest for you to introduce today, too. Yeah, and so uh, joining us on the line together is uh, Charles Johnson, an actuarial consultant. Uh, Charles, thanks so much for joining us today. I know you're a busy guy, so we appreciate you being here. Yeah, but no one can see you. Uh, hi. <laughs> Perks of working at home. Um, sorry, what was the question? I'm Charles Johnson. I'm an, uh, I'm an actuary. I work for Northwestern Mutual. Um, my wife uh, is a cardiac nurse and getting her um, her doctorate in nursing practice in uh, acute care. Um, so, you know, we have a unique collaborative perspective on uh, the COVID and some of the things that have been going on. Yeah, you must see it through a much different lens. We'll get into that as our as our topic of discussion. Um, you know, something that we wanted to talk about is just what we've been doing to stay kind of socially connected and socially sane, I suppose, is um, Shane and I have both been doing these, like we call them coffee breaks or coffee chit chat or whatever, where we've been reaching out to folks inside of our LinkedIn network. Maybe we've been connected, but never formally been introduced and just having nice, pleasant conversations with people around the country about how they're doing things. How those been go How have those been going for you, Shane? Uh, they're all right. Admittedly, I think you're a little better at this than I am, Eric. Maybe a little bit more extroverted on the coffee break front. Um, but I did I did it for a week or two. I'm hoping to spin it back up. I took a little bit of a break this week just with work chaos. Um, but they were good. Yeah, it was it was awesome to connect with some people. I connected with some folks that, you know, I had relationships with through work, you know, maybe five, ten years ago and just kind of rekindled those connections. So that was cool. Um, and then also had some coffee breaks with individuals that I hadn't met before um, that and one of them even has turned into a potential vendor relationship. So it was neat to see some of those people virtually and just kind of get to know them better, you know, without any strings attached, so to speak. Yeah, you? yeah, I would agree. Similar for me talking to people in uh, New York, in California, um, all over the country. So the neat thing for me was just hearing their perspectives on what their viewpoint is on this and like quite literally where they're seeing things from their um, side of the, the country. And it was fun for me to test out some of the some different tech. You know, at SwickTech we use Microsoft Teams and, and the Microsoft stack, but for what I've been doing there, I used uh, Calendly, which then synced up with my Outlook calendar and then it ties directly into Zoom. So it's completely hands off for me. Someone books a time uh based on the scheduling that i had defined and then it just shows up on my calendar and it's all through zoom which is you know a totally different platform that we're than what we're used to using so that was kind of fun to see how some of that other tech works also yeah for sure i uh i went the other route and decided i wanted to use teams and so i manually threw the teams link in there i'm stubborn like that i i prefer what i prefer i guess but good for you for trying something new Eric. <laughs> making it harder on yourself for sure Charlie, how, how have you been staying connected? Um, so when I, uh, when the stay at home happened, I had three purchases. Um, one of them was a second monitor. Uh, the second one was a whiteboard for my uh, apartment. 
which I use all the time. And then the third one was a Zoom subscription. And I probably hold two meetings, at least two meetings a day, um, seven days a week uh, on Zoom for personal and professional things outside of work. Rock on, you make your use that whiteboard look like. <laughs> what does it look like right now? Well, personally, I know that I've been on a couple calls with you um, here and there throughout all this last two months. But yeah, it looked like there's some stuff on there. Oh, yeah. It's a big uh, whiteboard. It is. Uh, it constantly gets refined. Um, one of them has to do with some of the hunting stuff that I know you're working on, uh, developing some plans there. Another one's for um, some property management acquisition. Um, uh, I just erased a bunch of stuff. We're, we're considering moving, so I had a timeline and plan for that, but uh, we've made some adjustments. So, uh, you know, something to throw ideas up against and kind of iron out plans and just just a you know a, a place to allow your mind to be free yeah get it out of your brain that's a yeah. good approach um you know our topic of discussion today is kind of around the badger bounce back and shane and i tried to carve out a framework for discussion it's pretty loose but we wanted to talk about the different phases and um you know we have some thoughts about maybe different tech technology or, or tech tools that you can utilize throughout that as they might pair up to those things but it was we were really curious to get your professional opinion, um, you know, or at least with your experience as an actuary around what you're seeing on this, you know, what is the data telling you? What are your uh, take on some of these things? Um, so I, I, I won't talk about any um, proprietary data or data within companies. Uh, I'll just want to reference public data. Um, so reading through the phase plan one, um, I think people when they read through things like that they tend to focus on um you know what are the actions going to be so when are our stores or businesses going to open what are the procedures going to be um the part that i find very interesting is um you know I, I maybe i'm a bit against the grain here but i think the government in general has done a pretty good job following the data and making data driven decisions and so um, if you go read the Badger plan, they have a very specific set of criteria for how they will initiate or cancel um, uh, the various phases. And so um, I, I think that it's a pretty um, good set of data that they're using. So they have three specific ones that they, they focus on, which is um, the change in new case rate. So the percentage of total tested that test positive and how that percentage changes over time. Um, the percentage of new um, deaths that happen. And I believe the third one is the um, number of ICU cases that um, are in hospitals. So right, right now, if you look over the last two weeks and they have to be downward trends. So over the last two weeks, they look about flat. Um, so I think we're at maybe at a tipping point. If it continues to be flat, um, you know, I think it, it puts the, the government in a tough position about whether to initiate phase one or not. Um, and then I think the really important part is it, it takes at least two weeks before we'll be able to recognize in the data whether, um, you know, we've started to increase cases from that. So I think it's also a really important takeaway from reviewing these plans is that they're very tentative and if we see um, cases icu cases and deaths change their trajectory over the next two weeks it's likely that 
those phases will be pushed out or um, that the timeline will be adjusted. Yeah, I think that's, I mean, that's the hardest part for people to wrap their heads around, right, is everyone, everyone wants to set time and date for all of this to change and we're everything, we want everything to just be back to what it was before, but that's impossible based on where we're at. So that's really interesting for you to say. The yeah. laying effect of the numbers is the hard part. It, it reminds me of like, you know, search engine optimization. I might do something today on a website, but Google might index it in two weeks and everything else has to get shuffled around. So maybe in one to two months, I might see what the impact of that changes. But in addition to that, everything else has also changed around it. Mm -hmm. So, you know, how do you make a decision today if what could happen in two days would double, right? And if we start to loosen the reins and people start emerging, um, now there's that chance for exposure and the lagging effect of that is really hard. And then how do you pull that back? That that might be the tough part that you're talking about with what government has to decide on in addition to the flat line. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, I think another important point is, you know, generally good scientific data and analytics tries to have comparative results. Um, and there's really no control groups that you can have here. I mean, you can compare state to state, but um, I personally would argue that there is really significant variance. And so you can't point to another state in their performance and say that it'll be similar here. Um, I think you know, uh, population density plays a huge factor. Um, you know, how much travel do you have naturally in and out? I think that's why New York and California, particularly New York, having high density and high travel is a really high risk area. Um, and so I also appreciate that there is at least some regionality to how they're going to assess the performance in Wisconsin, um, because I think various regions have um, vastly different risk factors. Yeah, I mean, a lot of it's based on human behavior right? once we start to reopen stuff, right? How are the individuals in Wisconsin going to react to this? And are they going to, you know, foolishly ignore social distancing or not? And that's going to depend on each individual, each individual. So it's kind of it's kind of impossible to predict that. And um, reading through phase one, I think one of the big challenges that I realized is um, the governor had put forth a pretty robust tracking um, and management plan for cases. So um, I think this is part of the joint task force um, result of the, the Midwest states and the um, orders, the, the White House plan, which is um, you need case and tracking management. So um, I know right now they're looking into softwares um, to help um, extrapolate and, and predict how the spread has happened and where it came from. But you also need, I think they said they're planning on hiring a thousand individuals to help trace cases backwards and see um, who else infected individuals might have come in contact with and got infected. And that is a massive undertaking, um, not just from an expense standpoint, but I mean, you're going to have to train uh, a thousand people. Um, and this is one where two weeks makes a pretty significant difference uh, in terms of your ability to make good decisions and get good data. So I think they, they have a really challenging set ahead of us. And there is definitely immense opportunity for technology to assist with a lot of the um, requirements that they have for data collection. On a small tangent to that point, you know, are there any visualization tools that you um, utilize? We're big believers and fans of uh, Microsoft Power BI, but there's others out there. I was just curious if you've dabbled around with any sort of visualizations. No, um, I haven't uh, gotten access to direct data sources and, and done any analytics on it. Um, you know, I, I think Google's done a pretty good job aggregating it, but um, 
I personally haven't put forth time in, in analyzing and trying to make predictions. Uh, I'm a believer that um, the smartest and most capable people are doing their jobs effectively when it comes to this. Uh, and so I often rely on their expertise and, and the reports and data that they publish. Yeah, that makes sense. No need to reinvent the wheel, I suppose. <laughs> um, what are you know, some of the challenges that jump out at you um, if we march on to phase two? Like, as I suppose, what what benchmarks is it? You know, the flattening of the curve will allow them to deploy this phase approach, and then inside of that, you know, what other benchmarks are they calling out to kind of um, keep climbing that ladder to the next phase, and so and so forth. hammering downstairs um <laughs> uh yeah i think they're using the same benchmarks which are the right ones which is change in new cases change in new deaths and so i see the monitor the same yeah I, I mean i and i think it's important to use consistent metrics as you do it um i would say the metric or you know, th this is more biological, so I'll, I'll take it. This is a bit outside of my area of expertise, so I'll preface there. Um, but, and, and this is because um, for my work before, I worked at Northwestern Mutual, I had, I've done um, pandemic stress testing on mortality. Um, and so I think it's really important that when you compare Spanish flu and COVID, um, the distribution of deaths is significantly different. Um, so Spanish flu, the majority of the deaths were actually people ages 20 to 35 that were relatively healthy, and COVID hasn't had that same um, distribution of, of population deaths. Um, and I, I think there's this been something that's been populated um, and put out there, but you know the majority of deaths from the Spanish flu, which is H1N1 and swine flu, um, actually came in the fall. And it's not so much that um, the mortality that just a whole bunch more people got infected. Um, it's that the specific strain that was being transmitted mutated. And the new mutation was significantly, had, had a much stronger reaction in, in the immune system that caused healthy people with strong immune systems to, to die. And so the most important factor to me that we don't know right now is how quickly COVID will mutate from its current form to a new form. And there's um, two pieces that I think are really important there. The first one is um, because there's no existing herd immunity, the number of people that are infected with this relative to any other existing strain is way higher. So if you have a, a virus that has an, the same mutation rate as another virus, but you know has 10 times as many or 100 times as many people incubating it, the likeliness that it mutates is much, much higher. Um, and the second one is, I think it's only now that we're starting to realize that there may be additional strains that exist and being able to differentiate between them and some of the things that propagate. So uh, if there's one statistic or one trend that is really concerning to me is that there appears to be um, a specific strain of symptoms that are propping up in children in New York that um, doesn't seem to exist in any other um, population set, which indicates to me, again, I'm not a, a, a geneticist or a biologist, but just purely data-driven, that is the early signs in the data that there might be mutation factors 
in a state where you have really, really high incubation rates or infection rates across the population. So that's another thing that I think isn't specifically written out in the phase plan, but that would be something that could emerge in the data that might change how we're making decisions or how um, the governor's three phase plan would be implemented. Shane, looks like you had something you wanted to. No, that's just, I think that's fascinating to think through that process, how it all works with the infections and stuff. I am also certainly no biologist or chemist or anything like that. So it's hard for me to wrap my head around some of that, but it's fascinating. And what do you think? So, let, you know, regardless of how it will or, or won't play out, there's a lot of speculation there and, and you can, you know, play through some scenarios. Swick Tech as a business has um, done some of the scenario role playing. If we lose this much percentage in business. This is what we do. Here's some indicators to look for. If we gain this much in business, here's what we do. Here's some indicators. If nothing happens, here's what we do. Here's some indicators. So we've spreadsheeted that out to death and played with variables and and you know forecasts and tried to be as prepared as we can, so we can feel like we're in some sense of control inside of this environment. You know, what are some things um, you you think businesses should be you know looking for, or what can they do to help plan for an emergence, hopefully one that's stronger. Uh, emerging stronger from all of this um, and or a two-pronged question for you, you know, <clears throat> what do you think the where do you think the market's going with some of the data that you have currently like in terms of you know maybe the stock market or the commercial real estate market as we all work remotely um, there's some questions that might be begged there um, okay so your first question was um, how should businesses be making decisions um, you know, I think the PPP loans have interestingly, and this is, this is all my opinion, nothing professional here. Um, I think it's put businesses in an interesting position because they, many businesses have taken on the loans with the anticipation that they'll still have employees, um, you know, uh, continued, but if the PPP loans become exhausted, uh, in order to get those loans written off, you have to continue keeping people on payroll. And so I think it might put businesses in an interesting position. So I would at least encourage businesses to have very serious plans, um, particularly ones like retail, um, where you need either to get to phase two or phase three to really resume, to have scenarios or plans that um, you can stay in business with four to five months before we get to phase two or phase three. So I think it's really, really important to think about some of those worst case scenarios. Now, now that's classic actuarial. You know, we look at the worst case scenarios whenever we're um, projecting things out because, um, you know, we want to be secure and, and fulfill our promises no matter what happens. Um, so so for, for businesses, there's just an immense amount of uncertainty. Um, if you can exist when this is over, I think you will be leagues ahead of the of of everyone else. I think it takes truly strong leadership and decision making um, to to make it through really challenging times like this. So when I talk to small businesses, my general goal is just survive, uh, protect and survive, and don't worry about um, you know trying to capitalize right now unless you're in a unique position. So for example, I think cybersecurity is one where um, you're seeing more people um unemployed uh you know people are seeing opportunities in the market to to you know whether it's fraud or uh, cyber attacks uh, you know 
there's just been a lot of messaging that I think is quite accurate, um, but that's a really big risk. Um, your second question, what was your second question? Um, kind of just about the market in general, like where where do we see demise and flourishings? Like, you know, we, we uh, Shane and I both, and thanks to Shane, we both subscribe to um, the brew, the morning brew email subscription, and they had called out on yesterday's morning brew, you know, um, that Peloton was up like 66%. And then, you know, they were talking about Uber and Lyft this morning. Um, now that some of the reports are starting to come back and Uber um, isn't, you know, not that many people are hailing rides, but I think they had a really strong January, February. So they're not as bad as people may have expected. You know, what are some of the market trends that jump out to you in your seat when you look at some of the data? Um, commercial real estate was kind of my question because I thought with everyone working remote, do you need to go back to the office? Yeah. So, um, so first, you know, I think Uber's delivery services are probably a kind of nice edge that they have as, as a yeah. stock. Um, that's my my only individual stock opinion there. I try not to speculate too much on individuals. The market as a whole, um, I think between, you know, bonuses coming in in March, the stimulus check, um, the PPP loans, and some of the other small business relief, um, we saw cash get injected into the market. Um, and another sign um, is that uh, bankruptcies on residential mortgages have been relatively flat today, which means like a month into this where we see, you know, unemployment, at, you know, decades high um, is pretty unusual. So that indicates to me there's uh, liquid cash that's being exhausted. Um, so I would expect unless we see really significant government action, which there might be, um, you know, the Fed's buying up a lot of um, mortgages and fixed assets that I think are not worth what they're paying. Um, I, I would expect the market's probably going to come back down. It's going to have some type of retraction over the next two to three months. Um, for real estates, uh, they're estimating that the spike in bankruptcies is probably coming in the next month to two months. So May and June, we'll start seeing bankruptcies on the residential side go up. Um, seeing a lot of refinancing. Uh, commercial, the rental side, I think it's going to be pretty safe. Um, commercial side, uh, you know, I think it's going to, and I'm not just talking like retail, but like work offices, I think are, are going to take a major hit. Uh, I've had conversation with small businesses where their lease is up in, you know, June or July, and they're just considering not renewing it because they've been so efficient remote. Um, and I think, especially with larger, larger corporations that have seen um, very little loss in efficiency from working from home, see a massive risk with bringing people back in because essentially, you know, a, a commercial building is a giant uh, mass gathering every day. And so um, most corporations, large corporations that um, I've had any info or, or um, heard news from are in no rush to come back into the office. Um, so I think commercial real estate is going to have a significant depression over the next six to 12 months uh, as people realize that there's not that much efficiency lost from working at home. Yeah, that's going to be really fascinating to see, it, especially for you know small to medium sized businesses. I feel like if, if you're like, let's say you're the CEO or owner of a small business, that's probably one of your biggest expenses every month that you see is is your real estate or your your you know whether you rent or own. Um, and that's, you don't get anything out of that. 
right? And so especially right now, now you're officially still operating, you're still functioning as a business and you're paying this rent or mortgage and it's just an empty, vacant building. So yeah, I, I think that's hard for a lot of businesses to stomach and they're realizing why, why do I even need that? So it's gonna be interesting to see if they change that. Yeah, I'll, I'll add two things on. Uh, first one, I think manufacturing commercial is probably safer um, and storage warehouses are probably safe. So not all commercial, um, but commercial office. Uh, and the second thing I'll say is you'll probably see a shock in the next three months as businesses go under and can't pay their bills. But I would also think there'd be sustained, um, you know, 12 to 24 months. Um, commercial leases tend to be pretty long. And so businesses that can sustain it probably will and will just wait till the renewal period rather than canceling early. So sure. you'll see an initial shock, but I think you'll see continued depressed or at least pressure downwards on those commercial office buildings. Yeah, and it's just going to be it's going to be interesting long term to see how this kind of changes the office concept, the landscape of having a physical space to work in. Yeah, the thing I'm most curious about is how it might change consumer demands for like rental or residential buildings. You know, uh, what does it look like to work from home? What do you care about? Uh, and how might new buildings or remodels or refurbishment change with that um, inside office looks like that inside living space? Yeah, I don't think we'll see that for a long time, but it's definitely going to, this is definitely going to affect it. You have to build some sort of in-home hair salon for yourselves. You guys both have some pretty long hair. <laughs> hey now, you're just jealous over there. I'm <laughs> perfectly fine with my bald head over here. It's been very easy to take care of, I tell you. Um, you know, we're we're really hopped up on the idea of emergence. In fact, to make sure we don't forget to talk about it, uh, I know um, Charlie, you know Todd McLeese as well as we do. We're having him on a webinar on uh, Thursday, May 21st, from 2 to 3 p.m. to talk about how to plan for emergence, um, as he's connected with some community members and business leaders in our region. Um, he's hearing it from a different magnitude and scale, and helping kind of um, plan through that from a leadership side, and. You know, we talk about like, how are we going to start to see and feel some normalcy both individually and as a collective? Um, how are you staying normal? Like, how did what is that going to look like? It's so hard to speculate, but I'd like to hear your thoughts on it. It's a tough one. Uh, it feels weirdly normal being at home every day. Uh, so I, I, you know, I'm not sure what the future future looks like, uh, you know, I'll point to at least something that I find interesting, which is um, the really significant differentiation um, over the last, you know, five or 10 years that countries like Japan or China view um, contamination and infection relative to how America has viewed it. And um, I think that this pandemic will create a sustained imprint of the risk of just um, catching viruses and infections and how transmittable things are. And so I think you'll see really sustained demands for PPE and where you, you know, it's not uncommon to go to a place like China and see a certain percentage of people in um, masks just all the time, everywhere they go. Um, I think you'll, you'll kind of see that sustained percentage of the population in the United States um, cautious and concerned about it. Um, I think the other thing that I'm kind of the jury's out on that I think will play a really big factor is 
how legal precedent will change um, in terms of work requirements. So I'll run a scenario that I think we'll run into pretty commonly. Um, you know, I work at, you know, not me personally, but let's just say I work in an office building and um, my boss feels that being in person is really important for productivity. So he says, you know, you need to come back into the office. And I say, oh, well, you know, I have COPD and I don't want to come back in because I think it's going to put my health at risk. So then he or she, you know, says, well, then I'm going to fire you if you don't abide by what I'm asking you to do for your work requirements. And then I think the courts will have to set some precedent that um, people with health risks or, you know, a reasonable co uh, concern for their well-being um, are allowed to request or at least deny certain uh, work requirements if it's not required for their job. And so when you see major corporations um, where people are working remote right now, um, there might be legal precedent that gets set in the future where if you want to work from home, uh, an office might not require you might not be able to require you to do that. Um, and I think that will also shift the paradigm of uh, working from home and, and uh, workers' demands. That'll be fascinating. I think we talked in the beginning about which industries would be on the rise. It seems like legal is going to have their work cut out for them <laughs> for some time here. <laughs> Zoom, uh, or what is it? Yeah, is it Zoom? Not the, not the uh, conferencing. What is the legal Zoom? That's what I'm trying to say, the legal. online. Yeah, a lot of zooms in the world. I guess it's a pretty popular world or phrase in the tech in the tech world. Um, well, I think the other industry that's going to explode is uh, telemed. Yeah, and that was there's a lot of work already carved out in that space, so it seems like um, it was a pretty logical jump for that. Well, and well, I think what's really interesting is that um, you know so. I'm an advisor uh, for an angel investment firm who had has done investments in the medical space. One of the things that had been impressed on me is how long the sales cycle is in the medical field. So um, doctors are pretty smart. Uh, and so a lot of startups in the medical space uh, have really brilliant people and great technology behind it. Um, but the most challenging part for most of those, you know, new innovative medical technology companies is adoption by the existing system and so you know we've had the ability to do really immense amounts of um technology and uh, supplement to our, our medical system but purely based on the infrastructure and management it has not been prioritized been adopted very quickly so i think the rate and demand that we start to absorb some of this new technology in the medical system will really accelerate um which will be ultimately a fantastic thing that's cool I, there's there's way too much to consider in all of this to compact it into an hour. These conversations are happening all over the place, um, you know, person to person. But in, like I know, like the MMAC does um, every single day at three thirty, they're meeting with some medical people and, and business leaders in the community, and they're trying to keep it pretty objective and um, take the the you know politics out of those conversations by and large. And I've heard that's a great place to go if you want to keep your finger on the pulse of this and this community specifically. Um, those are free to attend. You don't have to be a member. So I recommend maybe checking that out if you're tuning into this. Um, are you, in, in terms of speaking of resources and mate word to get information, do you have any recommendations or um, any nuggets for people to consider or think about? I'll, I'll endorse what you just said. I've been on the MMAC calls a couple of times before. It's a fantastic resource. 
Um, in fact, they were one of the primary groups that helped pen and um, come up with the, the phase plan approach for um, Wisconsin. So um, just really fantastic uh, leaders caring um, that are, are trying to help make um, the most informed and, and data-driven decisions to, to get us reopened because um, they, the, what I find really refreshing is that they have an effective balance between medical experts and business experts that can consider both some of the economic impact of the decisions that are being made, as well as some of the medical risks and try to find that middle ground um, to allow us to, to really reopen. Yeah. So, yeah, that, that's a great, nice job, Eric. No. <laughs> you know, I just, I just call it up because change is so difficult and we've just effectively change to working from home as a version of normal. So when we talk about new normal, this is it right now. Um, it's like the seasons that change. It's never a light switch, you know, to go from, uh, I, I'm this weird person that gets like, you know, I, I treat mother nature like an actual physical being. I get frustrated when things aren't like, when it's summer to fall, I get pissed that it's not actually fall yet. When it's like, I put on a hoodie and the leaves are crunchy and it's beautiful outside. And then next day I have to wear, you know, shorts and, and a t-shirt again, because it's 80 and, and humid. And that's happening now in spring. I just snowed a little bit this morning. Yeah. What happened to our <laughs> 70 degree weekend? And I think we're going to have that type of same transition to some degree because it is a transition and it's not a light switch. So to Shane's point earlier, we're not just going to go back to the way it was. We're going to get to some sort of mix of both. And it's going to sputter and spike and, and you know, it, one day it might theoretically snow and one day it might be really hot and there's things we might enjoy and things we won't, but we're going to have to be open-minded insofar as how we adjust to it individually and collectively, because it's going to be different for everybody in certain ways. But, you know, thank you so much for taking time out of your very busy schedule, um, especially as you showed us your whiteboard back there. We know you have lots going on. We appreciate your time on today's uh, podcast with us. Yeah, yeah I appreciate you guys. You guys are, oh, sorry, go ahead, Shane. No, go for it. I was going to say, I appreciate you guys having me on. And, um, you know, I, I think that the stuff that you guys do like this, the the connection and speaking and, and kind of uh, um, allowing people to know that their concerns and, and interests uh, aren't alone helps uh, restore a state of normalcy. So you guys are contributing to the solution. 